Amen. Amen. Thank you, team, for, for leading us. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13. Uh, John, chapter 13. Uh, and as you're flipping there, it is, it is good to see you all uh, here this morning. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our, uh, our starting point series. So if you're a guest with us or haven't been with us, over the past few weeks, we're in week three of uh, our starting point series where we are looking at church membership uh, and uh, what it looks like at Crosspoint and expectations and, and all those cool things like that. And so uh, this morning, we'll continue into that. And uh, I want to throw up the graphic that Luke uh, introduced to us last week. So two weeks ago, uh, we introduced our new vision statement uh, mission statement, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, I'm not real catchy and crafty, but anyway, so at Crosspoint, we exist for God's glory uh, by committing ourselves to God's truth, God's people, and God's mission. So what it boils down to uh, with, uh, us at Crosspoint is we, we're about God's glory. Uh, and the way that we believe that we can bring him most glory is by committing ourselves to three things, God's truth, God's people, and God's mission, and uh, bring your attention to the arrows uh, that Luke walked through last week. You see they're going both directions because ultimately uh, God is the one who gives us truth, and so truth comes from him, uh, and by committing ourselves to his word, we in turn glorify him by committing ourselves, and so you'll see with people, which where we will be uh, this morning is that God creates his people. He's the who forms his people. Uh, so the church isn't something that man came up with. It wasn't man's design. The reason why the church is valuable is because she was designed, purchased, sustained, and empowered by God himself. Uh, and so it was it's his idea. It's, it's his plan. And, and in turn, we commit ourselves to his people, and we give him glory in doing so. He's glorified in doing so. The next week, uh, which will be our final installment of this series, is that God is the one, is God's mission. God's mission to redeem, to, to, uh, to build his church is his mission. It isn't man-made mission. It is God who uh, is his mission. He's, he's invited us to join him in his mission that we've talked about often, so we commit to doing that. In the bottom, you see how the gospel is what drives all of these things. And so from the truth, we understand the gospel. And what we'll talk about this morning is because of the gospel, it creates a people. The gospel drives us to God's people, and in turn, it drives us to join his mission. And so anyway, this morning, we are in core value number two, God's people. We commit ourselves to God's people, to the church. And what I want to do, uh, so bear with me, uh, we are told not to do this in preaching classes, to read long passages of scripture, like big chunks of scripture, and, uh, but this morning I felt led to. Uh, and the reason is, is because it's specifically Jesus' words. But I want to, I want to read real, uh, real quick. I want to just show you a couple of verses in John chapter thirteen and John chapter fifteen. I actually want to read a good chunk of John seventeen. And, and Luke told me to make sure I don't stop and try to uh, exegete any of them because we won't make it through. So uh, I'm going to talk beforehand. I'm going to read through, and then. Uh, we'll continue on. So in John chapter 13, and so keep in mind what we talked about last through is our first commitment is to God's truth. Uh, like that is, that is our final authority. That is what we're built upon. That's our, that's our, that, that's it. That's, that's what we're committed to. And so keep that in mind as I read these passages. John chapter 13, uh, verse 34. 
Jesus says to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Then look at verse 35. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So here we have Jesus saying that our love for one another, that we will prove to be genuine disciples of Jesus by loving one another. Everybody with me so far? Now John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17 Again, this is Jesus talking to his disciples the last night that they got to spend with him before his crucifixion. It says, this is my commandment, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not, does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So here we have Jesus' very word saying, I've commanded you these things, I've given you my truth, so that you will love one another. Everybody follow, check it with me so far. Now, John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. And I underlined specifically for where we are in our world today, I underlined verse 2 in here. But here it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And verse 2 is for somebody this morning. Since you have given him authority over all flesh. And so we just need to be reminded of that this morning. I told Luke I'll stop here. Uh, we just need to be reminded that, that, that God the Father has given God the Son, Jesus, authority over all flesh. Um, you give him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who uh, you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, when I began to read this from from here on out, notice these, these distinctions that Jesus is praying in regards to his people to his disciples and to his ministry. So let's keep going. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. So check that. The people that you gave me out of the world, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they received them, and I've come to know in truth that I come from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I had kept them in your name, which uh, you have given me, and I have guarded them, 
and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, uh, and these things I speak in the, wor- in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. So I do not ask for these only, but also for those whom you will, who, who will believe in me through the word, that they may all be one. Just as Father, are just just as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the earth. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And here's what I've come to understand is that you can't, if you commit yourself to God's truth, you'll be directed to God's people. Like you can't, they go hand in hand. Even in Jesus's prayer here, he's speaking about, it's his words, right? I've given, uh, you've given me uh, these people, they've believed in me, and what his prayer is that they will be one, and through their oneness, that the world will know that the Father has sent him. And this idea of, of loving one another, and this is where I'm about to try to get to the, to the landing strip, is this idea of us loving one another and being one another, listen to me, that's an idea that cannot remain abstract for us. Right, so the idea of, of Jesus' call for us to love one another as we've been loved and, and to be one, that cannot be an abstract idea for us. As in, oh yeah, I love the church, the universal church, because we do like that. Right? So, but the reality is, is that, that, that it cannot remain an abstract idea. So at Crosspoint, we commit. We commit ourselves to God's people. And through the next few minutes, I want to unpack how that moves from an abstract idea of this idea, of these things that Christ has commanded us to. And we actually, you know what, I'm actually going to put that on. We're actually going to love one another, not speak about it in abstract terms. We're actually going to commit to that. So core value number two, uh, if you have an outline, you can follow with me. Core value number two is that we commit ourselves to God's people. This is who we are as Crosspoint. Taking notes, the gospel drives God's truth to God's people. 
That's what we just. That's why I read all of these passages of, of Jesus's prayer and him talking to his disciples because truth will lead you to God's people every time. The gospel drives God's truth to God's people. This is how so the gospel forms our identity as God's people. Who we come to understand ourselves to be, we understand that that is formed by the gospel. It's not the, the, the this is what I mean by that. We have people in this room that we come from all different backgrounds, from different places. Uh, we have people that, are, that have moved here from different states. We have, we have different uh, backgrounds and upbringings. We have different hobbies and things like that. What forms us is not the things that we, we all are best friends and, and, and that we have everything in common. No, what forms us is the gospel. Like it is the gospel that unites us. It is the gospel that, that makes a people, right? We're sitting in this room, I would say the majority of us, is because the gospel has made us one in Christ. Not, not the color of my skin, not my hobbies, not what's, how much money I have in my bank account or what clubs I'm in outside of here, but the gospel of Jesus Christ forms his people. Not only, but it informs our practice as God's people, right? Like, it is the... Love as you've loved one another, what? As I have loved you, right? So it informs the way that we, we practice as we, as we operate as God's people is that the gospel informs us. Why, why do we need a steady diet of the gospel? Is because we have to do life together. And oftentimes, I don't want to forgive you, or I don't want to hug you, or I don't want to this, that, and the other for you. But what happens is I remember the gospel and how I've been loved, and it informs me how to love you. Right? That's, that's the picture. Not only does it form our identity, but it informs our practice to be people of grace and mercy, of truth, of hope. But the gospel nurtures, also nurtures a culture of grace within God's people, which is what I was speaking about here. Is that it is the gospel who forms us, informs us in, in the gospel. And when we're gospel-driven, when we're centered on the gospel, it cultivates a culture of grace within God's people. Because we remember how we've been loved. We remember how we've been forgiven. Ultimately, what this means is the message of grace that has made us, it also shapes us. The good news about the gospel, can you say that? Because the gospel is good. So the good news about the good news is that it is perfectly equipped uh, to nurture and empower its own implications. That it has the power to not only create the people, but inform the people, to empower the people to be what God has called us to be. And as we flesh out this grace by committing ourselves to one another, it empowers us to love and forgive and to listen to and to bear with and exhort and to challenge. When the gospel is steadily consumed, then the capacity to love our neighbor increases. When we remember God's love and forgiveness for us, then we are moved to do the same for our brothers and sisters. It takes us intentionally fleshing this out. That's what I mean as in these things can't remain abstract ideas. Like, like, yeah, this is that. No, it's, it's by us committing ourselves to one another. As in, yeah, yeah, I, I will, we'll love one No, like, we commit ourselves to one another. We don't, we don't, we put it on, if you will. 
So to glorify God, this is coming up on the screen, to glorify God, we commit ourselves to God's people. We join his people, we love his people, and we serve his people. I just want you to know this. This is, not only is the idea of committing ourselves to a group of people, and to say, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but to say to them, hey, when I commit myself to you, that means that that I'm, I'm now your responsibility, my spiritual health. I'm, I'm asking you to help me out, to call me out when I need to be called out, to, to be there to make sure my spiritual journey, like this, that is, it's counter-cultural. It's counter to our sinful nature. And the reality is it's, it's actually counter-cultural to even church culture. Right? Because you and I, we swim in a and a river of individualism, right? Like everything is about this experience that we're trying to create. This personal, this personal to where it's my personal faith with Jesus, which is true. There is a personal faith, but it is meant to be lived in the confines of community. Right? Our culture, church services are set up to a, a certain type of consumer. Right? So a lot of churches, they find their way, all right, this is, this is the type of person that we want to reach. And so therefore, everything is built around that one consumer. Christianity has become designed to serve the individual. What's happened is, as churches, we have fostered a culture of individualism. better stay here because I'm going to start chasing things, so I'm just going to read things. We swim in a sea of individualistic messages aimed at our consumer hearts. And here in 2022, what I'm asking us to do is to repent of consumerism, individualistic type thoughts of church and understand that we're called as God's people. Here I wrote it like this, to rediscover the beauty of being committed to God's Right? For years, the church stream has been catered to the individual experience. When you read scripture, yes, there's individual moments when Paul was walking on the road to Damascus and there's these moments, but what you see, it's the one another's of scripture. It's, it's, it's meant to be lived out. As, when you read the book of Acts, it says, and they committed themselves Right? There's the, there's the corporate picture of the Christian life. And because, and we, we talked about this in week one, because there's been no value in actually committing myself to a local body, then there's low commitment, there's low value, there's low expectations. And I was honest with you on week one is what our goal, our, our, what we're aiming to do is to raise that value. For our eyes to see, I need to, I need to actually commit myself to other believers. Like, I rob myself of God's goodness and blessing when I do not commit myself to other Christians. So how do we combat this? We rediscover the beauty of being committed to God's people. So that cross point how do we commit ourselves to God's people? If we want to 
and I'm going to break down more of this as we go, but this is, this is who we are as a church. How are we currently and how will we continue to make sure that we're committing ourselves to God's people? Number one is that we are a people in place. This is as catchy as our words are going to get through this whole thing. We are a people in place. When I'm, when I'm speaking about that, I'm thinking about this morning. How are we committing to God's people is that we are going to commit to that weekly we're going to come in and we're going to worship together. We're a people in a place that we come in and that we will meet weekly in public worship, in a public worship gathering that it's unifying that we understand that through the week our, our lives are so different and, and some of us, we spend so much time in conspiracy theories and others we spend all this time on on the news and other times we, we spend time on Instagram and our lives get so fractured and and we lose hope and things like that what happens is we understand that each each Sunday morning we're gonna be able to gather and be unified under one place under one message under one God and one song that we commit ourselves hey we will be a people in place we will commit ourselves to the assembly we are committing ourselves to meet regularly, that we pray together, that we sing together, that we study the Bible together, that we'll fellowship together. We will take the Lord's Supper together monthly. So what am I commit? How are we committing ourselves that we're going to commit ourselves to be a people in place? We're going to come together. We're going to worship. We're going to come together. Maybe we'll fix it. We'll be a people that comes together and we will worship together. We will pray for one another. We will sing together. Like I said, we will take the Lord's Supper together. We're going to do that this morning. We'll financially give constant tithes and offerings. We will be a people in place. We commit ourselves to the gathering. But number two, we are a people in places. Not only are we a people in place, but we're also a people in places. We meet weekly in home small groups. We fellowship together for community and discipleship. All right, round two. We're a people that meet in place. We're a people in places, and we commit ourselves to, to small groups and fellowship through uh, small groups. Number three, we're a people governed by church leaders. So who are we at Cross Point? We're a people who commit ourselves to meeting weekly and in one assembly. We are people who commit ourselves to small groups and discipleship groups. Number three, as a church, we are a people, and this is important for us to walk through as a church, right? Uh, so if you get bored with this, but this is who we are as a church. We are, we are governed by church leaders. We are a pastor-led church. We believe that the office of pastor is for men only. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And here's something that that may be new for you when I say these words, but I think it's the biblical example, and it's one of the things that I made mention of last January that I wanted to move towards, is that we believe in a plurality of leadership. 
right? So this may be a new concept for, for many people. Definitely in Southern Baptist world in South Mississippi, you've got, you've got the lead pastor and then you got a support staff, right? It, it's him. He's the, he's the main guy in charge and he's got all the power. Then everybody else just kind of is, is his support staff. Well, I think biblically what you see is you have this, this plurality of leadership within bodies that there were, there were men that were, that were, that were equal. They were, they, they were shoulder to shoulder. So here at, uh, let me explain, we believe in plurality of leadership. You see examples there. So the way that our church operates currently is that we have five pastors who oversee the church. We're all equal. But among the five, there are two that are leaders, right? So let me try to explain that a little bit. And so it's no surprise that me and Luke both have the same, as in we're equal in calling, as in most of us have as much calling on our life to pastor a church as anybody else, right? Like, We'd be dumb. And so what we see is, is that among the five, there are two that lead. And from within that two, there's the leader. So, and that's, that's me. Uh, <laughs> and so this is a biblical example of this plurality of leadership of elders where we submit to one another. Now from that five, there's still a leader. There's the, well, ultimately what that means, whenever there was a wrong decision, it's going to come back to me. Right. If they, yeah, amen. So if things mess up, it's still me. But what happens is, is it causes us to submit to one another and to respect one another and be held accountable. Uh, and so that's how our church currently operates. But we also believe in the priesthood of the believer. Uh, we believe that that you that God has made you uh, a priest. Uh, you have the a priest. All of us are. We we have. Uh, being, you can read First Peter 2 there. So that's why as a congregation we vote on certain issues, a financial and leadership direction. Even though we're a pastor-led church with a plurality of leaders, we still care what you have to say, right? So we, we're not dominating or dementoring over. We, we serve together. Number four, we are a people committed to serving one another. So how do we commit to God's people? We are people in place, we're people in places, we're governed by church leaders that God has placed here, and we're a people that serve one another. We serve each other with our gifts. God has designed the body to work in a way that we all have unique gifts to us. And that God has given you that gift to serve his body, to serve his people. And so we serve each other with our gifts. We, serve, we are served by deacons. Uh, you may not know this, but we actually have four deacons. Uh, and in a little while, they're actually going to, other than Michael, Michael's running the live stream, Michael Trest, uh, but Philip Slaughter, Casey Hicks, and Clay Taylor are other, are other deacons. In a little while, uh, when we take communion, they're actually going to actually serve uh, you communion. So we still got it in the COVID cups. Uh, but they're going to be holding the ball this time. So we're getting a little, a little closer, right? Our deacons, uh, serve, they serve our small groups. Uh, by uh, Each deacon has a small group or two that they, that's their small group. So if somebody's been sick in that small group, they, they're making, making sure they're taking care of, of needs there. We are served by ministry teams, right? Our, our youth have ministry teams. Our kids have ministry teams, uh, 
our guest services, ministry teams, our, our booth in the back, ministry teams, band, ministry teams. And so we are people that are served by ministry teams and we are served by small group leaders. So how do we commit ourselves to God's people at Crosspoint? We commit to meeting weekly. We commit to doing life together outside of these walls through small groups. We are governed by, by church leaders and we serve, we're committed to serve one another. At Crosspoint Church, we are committed to God's people. The gospel creates and cultivates a true community as we fellowship with other believers. The world sees, as Jesus says in John 13, the world sees us as genuine disciples of Jesus by our love for one another. There's this, I'm gonna try to tackle this now. So why is it important for me to actually officially join a local church? Somebody's probably thought that already. Why is this such a big deal? Why is it so important to actually be, because the reality is is that there is definitely in my generation, there is this idea uh, that I could love Jesus and, and not be a part of his people. And nothing could be further from the truth. Right? We just read the last, just three chapters of Jesus talking to his disciples, and it was about to love one another. And love one another is not an abstract thing. It is a reality lived in messy thing that we call life, that we commit to doing that. So why is it important to officially commit myself to a group of local believers? So next week, we'll finish up uh, this series. Uh, Going to tell you what we're expecting, so we'll finish up, and then anybody uh, will, will dismiss. Then anybody that wants to join or has uh, thinks they want to join, we will call another meeting right after our Sunday morning service. It's only going to last for a few minutes, and we will pass out covenants, church covenants, where this is how we practically are going to commit ourselves to one another. If you have questions about why covenants, we could talk. You can ask me and Luke that later, but it's really just a practical way of me officially say, you know what, I'm going to commit to these people. I'm gonna it's nothing like you get extra points in heaven or we, we, if you break it, then you lose your salvation, like that kind of, that's not any, it's us officially saying this is how we're going to commit ourselves to one another. So, but you don't, you don't, we're not asking you to sign that next week. We're going to ask you to take it home, and then two weeks later, on March the 20th, we will gather in the PM, so we're going to have Sunday morning, then we're actually going to come back to church on Sunday night. Woo, woo, right? <laughs> Esther, you like that woo, woo? Sorry. I, we're going to come, woo, woo. We're going to come back on Sunday night, and we're going to all join together. So in that two weeks, uh, you, if you have questions or anything like that about the covenant or anything like that, that's whenever it's opportunity for us to talk. We're also going to be presenting on the 6th, we're going to be presenting some amendment changes or amendments to the Constitution and bylaws. Uh, so we'll make those available on the 6th, on the 20th. After we all join, we'll also vote on that. So we're actually going to do a business meeting. Isn't that crazy? Uh, whoop, whoop. Uh, <clears throat> I'll quit. I'll quit. So why is it important to officially commit myself to a group of leaders? Because it's a biblical example. Uh, and a group of uh, local believers, a biblical example, obedience to scriptures. What you see in scriptures, you don't see people church shopping because there was only one church in the area. But, but what you see is that evidently there, was this, there had to be this formal 
design of church because there was what we see in First Timothy there there was a there was a list of known widows. Right there was Paul talks to the Corinthians in a in a way that they knew who was inside the camp and who was outside the camp. So there had to be some kind of formal thing going on through scripture that they knew who their people were, but they also knew who was not their people. There was this distinction, if you will. So why church membership? Because it's practicing the Bible. Obedience to the example of scripture. But if you want to, if that isn't enough for you, what we see from, from the beginning and what we'll see to the end is that God has always marked off his people from the world. Think about it like an embassy. The U.S. embassy, wherever, in whatever country, they represent, they uh, wrote it like this, that they bear the authority of their government in a foreign land. And that's the picture we have as the church, like this is not our home. We're like an embassy of heaven, if you will. And so God has always been about drawing a bright line around his people. Go all the way back to the garden. There was a inside of the garden. There was a outside of the garden. Uh, there was, think about the ark. There was the inside of the ark. Then there was the outside of the ark. You go to, even to Egypt. When the children of Egypt, where were they at? They were in Goshen. They were, they were, they were separated for even in Egypt. Think about uh, when they go to the promised land, there was, they, were, they were in the promised land and there was outside of the promised land. And the same idea with the church is that what, the church, what God has done in the church is that he's marked off his people from in the, within the world. Right? That's what we read in John 17 is that they're in the world, but they're not of the world. I, but I'm leaving them here, but they're not of the world anymore. That's his exact prayer. And so God is, marks off his people so that he might put them on display for his own glory. So why church membership? Why joining myself to a local church? Is because it takes the abstract idea of being in God's universal church and makes it our reality here. That here in Jones County, Mississippi, God has taken Cross Point Church, and there's a line, if you will, that within this, and so I'm joining, I'm, I'm joining myself to that body that God has placed here to be an instrument of his glory. Church membership is how we formally recognize and commit to one another as believers. But I don't need, I don't need to be a church member in order to be a Christian, and that is correct. You're a part of the universal church through salvation. But there's this, there's this thing in the New Testament, like, let's do it like this. So we understand that you can finish it. If anybody's in Christ, he's a what? New. So we get a new self in salvation, right? Everybody say yes, there's a new self. Do you all know that there's also a command to put on a new self? So you get a new self in salvation, but you also have the imperative to put on the new self. And so what it looks like a church membership is, yes, you're a part of the universal church through salvation, but you put it on through joining a local church. Yeah. Right? So new self, put on the new self. Universal church, put on the universal church by joining yourself to a local church. Does that make any sense? That analogy made sense in my head? Does it mean yes? This means, okay. If not, I don't have another one. So, so what does it mean? Commitment to one another means commitment. I'm going to be, I'm putting my cards on the table here. 
And what we're, what we're talked about, we're raising the value and the expectation and commitment is that biblical membership, not, not church membership, whatever, whatever is in your mind, let's talk about biblical membership, is that the, it, it means commitment. That the work that Christ has done by bringing, making us a member of his universal church, that it, it must be give, then given the expression in the actual local body. So it begins, our church membership begins when we actually commit ourselves to a particular body. And it's not simply a record of a, a box that we checked. It's not just joining a social club. The church is a spiritual community this is from Luke. Luke wrote this this morning and sent it to me. And the church is a spiritual community that remains forever. It was planned by God's own wisdom. It was purchased by God's own blood. It was sustained by God's own power. And it was dwelling in God's own presence forever. So we commit ourselves to something valuable. It's not just a sentimental feeling. It's not just a, an expression of a favor. It's actual living commitment to one another. So we commit ourselves to assembling regularly together. We commit ourselves to be a people in places where we're doing life and discipleship together. We're loving one another. We're spurring one another on to love and good deeds. So what are we call? We're calling to commitment. Committing to God's people. That we're going to serve God's people. That we're going to love God's people. That this church membership isn't going to be this abstract idea, member of a social club. No, we're going to be a people that are committed to one another. Why? Because we want to glorify God. Biblical membership means taking responsibility. Our hope is that we as Christians, that we'll grasp a hold of each other in responsibility and love. When we join the church, when I join the church, what it is is <clears throat> when we identify ourselves with a particular local church, what happens is what we're saying is we're going to be telling one another, and this is counterculture, you ready? We're going to be telling one another that we commit to them through gathering, giving, praying, and service, that we'll tell, we're telling one another to expect certain things from us. Wait, What? What? So in church membership, I'm at, when I say, hey, I'm committing myself to Crosspoint, what I'm saying is, hey, I'm telling you to, to actually expect certain things of me. No, oh, that, that ain't church. And to hold us accountable if we don't follow it through. Joining a church is saying, I am now your responsibility and you're my responsibility. There's mutual obligations that are spelled out if you read through the New Testament and all these one another passages, right? Over and over again, love one another, bear with one another, serve one another, encourage one another. That, listen to me. Those are not abstract ideas. These are things that God has called us to in his word. So when we commit to ourselves, to commit to one another, we will fulfill the one another. This is an excerpt from a book I'm reading. It says this, whenever one joins a church or commits or covenants themselves to the church, they're saying this, I'm inviting you into my life and asking you to keep me accountable for following Jesus. I'm asking you to take responsibility for my Christian walk. If I'm discouraged, it's now your responsibility to encourage me. If I stray from the narrow path, it's your responsibility to correct me. If I'm in dire financial strains, it's your responsibility to look after me. And this commitment goes 
both ways. We're promising to look after each other. That your spiritual journey, my spiritual journey, is all of our jobs. The church membership isn't a status. Listen to me, church membership is not a status, it's an office. It's a job. Everybody tracking with me? I probably just scared half of you off. That's what we're looking at to raise the value of church membership to see how important it is. We, we have to raise the expectation. And this is, this is what church is. This is what God's people are being committed to. And in order, to, in order for us to go forward, our family, our members will say yes to that. We commit to that as well. So, like I said earlier, we use a covenant. And here's the news flashes. Crosspoint's always had a covenant to be signed for membership. This isn't something, so if I say covenant, you're like, oh, my God. it's always been this way. Uh, we're just changing some of the verbiage up on it. And so next week we'll pass those out. We can pray through them, anything like that. Anyway, I'll stop talking now for that. This morning we get the opportunity. One of the things that we say is that we're a people in place that once a month that we will partake of the Lord's Supper together. And this morning we get to do that. Uh, by God and his, this is, there's been kind of things along the way that, you know, God gives you attaboys or like just taps you saying, hey, yeah, you're listening, you're hearing me? Is that before, uh, before we even planned out this series, uh, as far as how it was gonna lay out, we had already talked about doing Communion the way, or Lord's Supper the way they were doing it. So for odd months is third week, even, even uh, months or fourth week doing Lord's Supper. And that's what we talked about today of God's people committing to one another, taking the Lord's Supper together. That's just a cool thing. Yeah. Anyway, in Luke chapter 22, Scripture reads like this. An hour came, he being Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. If you're not a church goer, if church is new to you, there was two ordinances that the, that the Lord Jesus left us in. One of those is baptism, one of those is his supper, the Lord's Supper. And one of the distinguishing marks of a church is that they partake and they're obedient to those things that the Lord left us. Uh, and so this morning we have the opportunity to obey the Lord in taking of his supper. And his supper represents his body that was broken on a cross and his blood that was shed. And so scripture tells us in, 
in 1 Corinthians, really, that, that anybody who's been saved, anybody who's been born again, has the right to the table. They have a seat at the table of the Lord's Supper. Um, and actually, in, in 1 Corinthians, um, I want to read it just so uh, I don't butcher it, but it says, Whoever therefore eats of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let, he, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So Paul tells the Corinthians, hey, before you come to the table, examine your heart. Examine, examine your life. Do not take of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so at Crosspoint, you don't have to be a member of Crosspoint to take the Lord's Supper with us as long as you're born again, as long as you're a follower of, follower of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to have the opportunity to do that. I'm going to stop talking in a minute, I promise. Uh, I'm going to get out of the way, and the band's going to come out and lead us in a song, and the, the deacons are going to come up. Deacons, y'all can go ahead and come up, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to have, I don't know who's going to be where. Uh, but there, Philip, where are you going? You go, Philip's going to be over in the corner with uh, Casey's going to be over here, and Clay, there's a right there on the front chair, and Clay's going to be standing right here. Uh, and so they're going to be standing down here, and um, as the band kind of leads over us, you can stand up and come and get uh, the elements. Uh, and, but don't partake of it yet. Just help you go back to your seat and, and hold up there. We, uh, uh, we believe we should take it together. And First Corinthians, you see, it says wait on one another. And so that's what we're going to do. And so um, I'm going to pray. Y'all good and come out. Y'all good? All right. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we, I thank you for the gift of the church. God, I pray that we do commit ourselves to one another. God, we, we see from your scripture that our unity and our love for one another, it shows the world that you did send your son that it does prove that we are disciples. God, there are many things that we can do on our own. But God, you can do so much more in reaching people by us loving one another. So God, put it in our hearts to commit to one another. God, as we come to your table, may we remember the body broken and the blood that was shed. And may we see in Luke where you wrote, where you said, where Jesus said that he would not take of this supper until that one day that as we take of this Lord's Supper, not only do we look back to the, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, but God, we look forward in anticipation where we eat with him in eternity. So God, we love you. So in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and stand and move as you are ready.